Thanks for joining us on Sling Talks. We have Christian Fried, founding engineer at Slingshot, also former CTO at Paradine Elder and former technical product manager at Google. We also have Guilherme Freire, who is also a founding engineer here at Slingshot and former machine learning engineer at Pangea Data and postgrad at Imperial College London. Welcome to Sling Talks, Christian and Guy. Let's jump right in and start with an easy question. What is the Turing test? Today we're talking about the Turing test which was originally conceived in 1950 by Alan Turing as a way to answer the question, can machines think? So the Turing test is a thought experiment, really, that puts two people in separate rooms. The idea is that these could be human or a machine, and you have an interrogator that's going to talk to them. And the interrogator's mission is to find out which one is the human, which one is the machine. And the objective for the machine player, right, is to fool the interrogator into thinking that it is actually a human. And the objective of the actual human is to help the interrogator into finding out the correct answer for which one is which. So the idea is that if you have a machine that can correctly fool the interrogator into thinking that it actually is a human, then that would prove that it is intelligent or as intelligent as a human, and therefore machines can think. So that's the framing for the experiment. So that was 1950. A lot's changed since then. And the big question for today is basically whether the Turing test is outdated. But let me just start by asking, like, do you guys think the Turing test matters? I think this is not obvious, but like, if an AI can pass the Turing test, does that matter? Like, What would be the significance? Christian? I think personally, it's still relevant. Um, the irony of this is that nowadays, if you talk to ChatGPT, you know it's not a human because it's too knowledgeable, too intelligent, too quick, too perfect. So you need to have that manipulative streak, let's say, to be able to play the part of a human. I think though, if and when we get to this, not just a one-off fluke, but actually replicable, you can have this done over and over and get the same results, then that is showing that they're not just as intelligent as humans, but I believe actually more intelligent so much that they can imitate a person. They need to essentially yeah. think in a different way, but also be able to take on all of the flaws and imperfections of, of humans. I was thinking about this too, and it seems to me that the Turing test might not be something fixed in time, right? Like we don't pass the Turing test, we pass the test at a particular time, and right? Because if you think about it, like it might get to a point where like we have GPT a million or something, and it'll be as convincing as a human. But as you as a human, you can also adapt. It's not like we're frozen, right? So as you talk to the intelligence, and you talk to other humans, you will be able to tell new things that you didn't think of before, right? And therefore, the machine stops being able to pass on the Turing test because now humans are used to talking to machines and they can tell like, oh, usually machines talk like this or not like that. Like these are new things that I can tell now that I have experience talking to a machine, right? So it's kind of like multiple bars of the Turing test, like the Turing test relative to an audience. Like if you're really stupid, exactly. maybe the Turing test bar is like quite low because an AI, you know, you're not asking good questions. And to some extent, I think... Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of one of the big questions about the Turing test. Like, who is the interrogator? Like, with GPT-4, one of the classic ones is there are a bunch of things GPT-4 can't do. So you could just, if you know one of those loopholes, you say to GPT-4, write me a sentence with exactly 25 words, it will fail almost every time. And every human, every time will succeed. And then you have just solved the test. But if you didn't know that in advance, maybe, you know, you're tricked by the Turing test. Exactly. I think a good parallel here is looking at like visual effects, right? Like back in the day when they weren't even conceivable, like, and then ILM came up and like, here's a dinosaur on a movie, right? People would think, oh, wow, this is real. Like, this is as real as it gets. But really, like nowadays, if you go back to Jurassic Park, you look at it and you're like, well, 
it's not that convincing anymore, right? But back in the day, it definitely passed the Turing test for VFX, right? So something analogous, I would say. I think it is interesting looking at AI more broadly, and that we always think that AI, true artificial intelligence, is the thing we can't quite do yet. So it used to be that chess, if you master chess, that is clearly a sign of intelligence and human level capabilities. And we did that and we realized, no, actually, it isn't. So I imagine in the same vein, maybe when we crack the Turing test, via text in the original version. It was text chat-based, essentially. We're going to move to to voice. And we want body language and we want nuance. And it's going to be another level of uh, imitation, let's say. So I think we were kind of getting at two different elements, which is like, is the Turing test necessary for artificial intelligence? Where Christians, you're kind of saying like, not really, like it's sort of a really high bar. And then it's like, is it sufficient to be intelligent? Where it seems like, Guy, you're also kind of just saying like, maybe you can pass like a low Turing test bar, but like, true intelligence might require more than just whatever that first Turing test bar is. So if we went for like the necessity side, I think it's like a really interesting question of like, what if there are a bunch of hacks that would force GPT-4 to always fail the Turing test, right? So the kind of thing of like print out 25 words, can you still have intelligence that's super valuable, even if it doesn't meet the bar of like, there are certain hacks that it fails? What do you think? Do you think there are better tests that we should be talking about than the Turing test, given that you might have an intelligence that just fails the Turing test because of these various hacks? I think if we see the Turing test as a measure of whether AI is useful, then it's not a very good test. And we, we want to have intelligence on tap. We want to have something that can actually do meaningful tasks for us. Now, what I do like about the tester is that it's not just intelligence in the traditional sense. It's also essentially empathy. It's being able to appreciate beauty. It's understanding how people think. So while that might not be the necessary requirement for an intelligence as a useful service, it's still some sort of interesting reference in complexity of consciousness, if you want to go into that territory. Yeah, there's kind of that. So there's this criticism, I guess, of the Turing test of like, why would anyone want to work on Turing test as a bar, right? Like if the bar is like the useful, I'd rather you like automate my taxes without passing the Turing test than pass the Turing test, but you can't do my taxes because most people can't do my taxes. And so actually, it's sort of suspicious if I'm doing the Turing test with an individual that claims they can do my taxes. On the other hand, there's some positivity here of kind of like, no, there are a lot of things we like about humans. And empathy might be one of those. And there might be actually something nice that correlates. Maybe the Turing test isn't the perfect measure ever, but like it captures something really valuable. And I do think on the sufficiency side, like there is a lot that is sufficient if you can pass the Turing test, like you're talking about. If you can pass the Turing test, it might be really hard to get an AI that's not only intelligent, but also good enough to trick you into thinking that it is a human. But if it could do that, then there are all kinds of tasks, especially like work tasks where you would want to delegate to a remote employee. And I guess that the idea would have to be like the average remote employee can now be replaced, right? Do you think that's true? Like, do you think that if we can pass the Turing test in that moment, we have just achieved the ability to replace the average, you know, remote employee? I'm not entirely convinced. I do agree with Christian that it's measuring more something like can you pretend to be a human, right? Like, how human are you rather than are you intelligent, like you said? But at the same time, I think this framing of the problem incentivizes the AI or like the solution to be like, can I trick a human rather than mm -hmm. uh, am I actually intelligent or like, am I actually behaving like a human, right? And I think like we have a lot of evidence that shows that humans are very easily tricked, right? Yeah. At least like if you consider like an average human, right? Like just take the average of how many humans are being tricked by this machine. Yeah, so we can ask what is intelligence, but definitely it's not what the Turing test, in my opinion, is measuring directly. It is an interesting point on the trickiness of the AI and the Turing test in particular. So on the one hand, we want to have AI with empathy in order to trust them, for example, with, with healthcare and mental health, that sort of thing. 
but on the flip side is test in particular is demonstrating how good they are at lying to. So now if you want to have your perfect worker, you have a perfect worker that is very good at pretending to work. <laughs> and maybe that's not what we want to do. Yeah, there is that like, I think the Turing test, some people miss this. It's pretty Machiavellian. Like it is really written in this, like when you read the paper, like there's a bunch where, you know, you ask the AI to write a poem and the AI says like, no, I'm not good at writing poetry. Or you ask it to solve a math problem and it could solve it instantly, but it estimates that it would take about 30 seconds for a human to solve it. And so it pauses for 30 seconds before responding. And there are a few of these where they actually show like how long would it take to pause? You know, pausing is like a real thing mentioned in the paper. There's a clear element of deception. Like the idea is the AI is not only like, it's not human-like. It doesn't think like a human. It doesn't pause like a human. It just knows how to trick you into thinking it's a human by understanding how it's like, it's able to simulate a human human so well that it can lie to you, which also means that, you know, there's some world where GPT-4 never passes the Turing test because we do such a good job aligning it that it refuses to lie, which is kind of a funny framing of like, what if we never pass the Turing test just because we choose not to because of how annoying an AI would be where you're like, you know, send emails for me. And it's like, oh, I already did that last night, but it like just never did. Yeah, interesting. Especially if you tell it and align it to say, I am an AI, like I can't pretend to be a human, right? That is wrong. Yeah, I think it's clear that the optimal AI in terms of passing the Turing test is not the optimal AI for anything useful. Yes, as in an AI that is specifically, because we might have like a GPT-4 fine-tuned to play the Turing test and that's like all it does all day long. And it includes, you know, mechanisms like the ability to pause and think or like fake think. That said, I do think there's something that we need to acknowledge here about like if GPT-4 or if a model can pass the Turing test, that would be insanely impactful. On the remote employee front, Guy, it sounded like you're not super convinced. How could it possibly be that we'd have an AI that could pass the Turing test but couldn't replace the average remote employee? I guess it like just goes back to looking at humans, right? Like we can agree that all humans are intelligent, but not all humans would be able to do whatever the job is, right? Like that's why you have a hiring process and everything. I mean, I'm just imagining like when I say like remote employee and I say average, I'm trying to like be really careful here with my words, but I have to imagine like I could hire almost anyone on earth and there would be a bunch of tasks they could do. It might require learning, to be clear, right? They ha might have to learn on the job, but there's a lot of, you know, research tasks they can do where I could just say like, you know, spend the next couple of hours doing blah, blah, blah. But they might not be the best in the world at their job, but there is some sort of like reasonable human average level that's still pretty damn high, right? Yeah, I feel like if in this case, you actually incorporate work into the Turing test, like you could actually ask the product of the work, like where is your research? Where's your report? Then it doesn't really matter. Like if the AI actually passes the Turing test, with those questions, then you actually have the work done. So yeah, in that case, I think it would actually solve the problem, right? It would replace remote employees. I don't know if there's a way to fake it if you can't ask for actual product though. But you can, right? Like, I guess that's part of the Turing test is like, it's anything, right? So that means like, it includes access to the internet. If you just said like, go on New York Times and tell me what the last article is, like that's, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's also this idea of the interrogator is supposed to be smart in the Turing test, right? You were mentioning the average human can be tricked. That's true, but that's a pretty low bar for the Turing test. I think like having a good interrogator who can act essentially like a manager, and then you imagine they compare it to Fiverr employees or something like that. Like, yeah, I very well might say like, go on PowerPoint and make me a deck. Like, seems like a reason, I, I don't know if we're, you're allowed to do that depending on how you control the modality, but at very least, if there's a text answer, you know, yeah. write a computer program to do this, you know, Google, do some research, figure out some facts, like that all seems to be within scope to me. Yeah, I think that's within scope too. It, but it also feels like a little bit of cheating. I'm not sure what the isolation part of the tests, uh, what the implications are essentially, right? Like if you have access to the internet, then you can just talk or like get extra information about the person you're talking to through other means, right? So like, oh, I searched you up on LinkedIn and you don't have anything. 
And then the AI just says like, well, I'm not on LinkedIn. <laughs> or the AI lies and says who they are, right? Well, they create an article in profile and everything. And <laughs> just created, tried this link, yeah. Because the bar is high. Remember, it has to be Machiavellian. It has to be a trickster. So maybe it does just say, hey, I'm Bill Gates. <laughs> Look, check out my LinkedIn. Check out my last article. Ask me anything. I know my life. <laughs> I don't know if Alan Turing specifically considered cyberstalking, but yeah, it's all fair game. Right? It is a funny thing that the Turing test was written before we had AI or remote employees for that matter. And so I think the implications, I think remote employees really changed the implications of the Turing test because once you have a concept of a remote employee, there are a lot of like counters to the Turing test that focus on robotics. But once you have a remote employee, you realize that the only modalities you really care about for a lot of human interaction is is text and video, basically, or like language and video. Maybe we add a video component to the Turing test. I don't know if that would be like a massive, massive change. To be honest, though, if you had an amazing remote employee who never video chatted with you, still pretty damn impactful. So language, I feel like, if anything, the Turing test aged well in that today we interact so virtually that language has become even more central to what it means to be intelligent, what it means to interact, what it means to, quote unquote, think in the terms of Alan Turing. Yeah, that's a good framing. I think I would agree with that, actually. If you can pass the Turing test as a remote employee, that is pretty powerful, like, and it has practical applications too, right? It's not that just that you think, I guess, like, the AI is useful, like you were saying, like, you, it can do your taxes. So we talked a lot about the practical implications of the Turing test and the usefulness. Are there any moral implications? Does it matter if someone is capable of pretending to be a human? Does that give you a human-level status in terms of ethics? That's a really great question. I mean, Al, it's interesting because Turing was talking about thinking and a lot of what he addresses, like, his original paper is not, like, just about setting a benchmark of tricking people, right? His original paper is philosophical and he goes through like a series of objections to the framing to say like, would an AI that passes my test still be considered intelligent? He doesn't really talk about like moral status, but I think the, if I'm understanding your question, it's basically like if we have something that might be analogous to intelligence or maybe we even call it intelligence, this AI is now intelligent. Does that give it moral status? I mean, I would say no. What do you guys think? I would actually say no too, because essentially what we're describing here is there's a different question, is, is the AI alive, right? But assuming that the answer might be no, we're just describing something that is not alive, but is intelligent, right? So at the very least, it has like a different status around morality, right? I would definitely not treat a human the same way I treat an AI or like vice versa, right? Because it's not alive, uh, or at this point, <laughs> it's not alive. It is an interesting question. I think maybe if it is intelligent, but not alive, you can still think of it as a tool. I don't know. What do you think? I think we can make the case for why it would matter, right? Like, why would you give moral status? And I think that has to do with basically, do we give moral status based on cognitive states, based on thinking? That's sort of what Turing's going for. He's basically saying, like, we care about thinking. And I think one argument here is usually, like, we care more about humans than non-human animals. The reason why is because humans are more intelligent. The more intelligent you are, the more moral status you get. Ants are not all that intelligent, so they shouldn't get that much moral status. And if we had an AI that had intelligence and arguably has cognitive states analogous to us, maybe it's even a neural network, so it's really biologically analogous to us, then we should give it moral status on the basis of, you know, the same thing as humans. I think that is probably the argument for giving value to intelligence. Anything you'd add to that, Christian? I think that two sides to this is just measuring pure intelligence. And we don't generalize that to the extreme. Right? We don't say that more intelligent humans are morally worthy for the most part. I mean, we sort of do, if we're being honest. Like, we give weirdly high moral status to people like Bill Gates, Albert Einstein. There is something in our society where we do create a ladder and put on a huge pedestal the people we consider the smartest. It's something that we reward and recognize, but that's the same case for, yeah. I don't know, athletes and other categories. 
So I think that's more the that's fair. Um, just a famous individual in any category. I think part of this in terms of our ethics is also just similarity. Like we treat other people better than apes because they're more like us, not necessarily because they're more intelligent. Chimpanzees have a better short-term memory than humans, but we don't give them any credit for that. But the real test is when this comes to alien intelligences, and I would count AI as, as one of them, it's something that is very different from us, but may have the same subjective experience, potentially the same cardio, the same consciousness. And that to me would be the more important factor than intelligence as such. Yeah, I guess what I was calling life before really is consciousness. But yeah, do you think consciousness is like intertwined with intelligence? Like it is necessary, a machine that passes the Turing test. Exactly. So I think that's the core of it, which is like, how do we separate between intelligence and consciousness? Consciousness is like a really complicated topic, obviously. You could read a lot in Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. But I think that to confuse that we are, to me, we're confusing consciousness and intelligence. And I think that there are moral implications here outside of AI. Meaning like if we were to say that intelligence is what matters, then we run into the exact issue that you just brought up, Christian, which is basically we should give it just a ton of moral status to chimpanzees, right? Which maybe is a conclusion too. But even worse is if we say that, you know, if intelligence matters, we should give very little moral status to babies. We should give, you know, more moral status as a basis of IQ because, you know, that's what would follow. And I don't think that's true. I think we do give moral status based on consciousness because we give just as much moral status to babies as adults. That's just, and babies are dumb. I think that consequence of that is that we probably should give a lot more moral status to non-human animals because there's no reason to believe that just because humans are more intelligent than certain non-human animals, that we have any more consciousness. If consciousness here means, you know, awareness, basically just some process of being human where we are just like aware of our current state. That state of consciousness seems to be something biological. There'd be no reason whatsoever to imagine that intelligence brings about consciousness. Like, there's no reason to think that consciousness is like valuable for intelligence, if you get what I mean. As in, like, if you made a super intelligent robot or even an alien, just because they're so intelligent doesn't mean that there would be any reason why consciousness would emerge. They could just be completely separable concepts. And the more separable you think they are, the more you can say that a less intelligent animal might be way more conscious relative to their intelligence compared to humans. So you can flip that around and say there's no good reason why humans should be conscious. It is entirely superfluous and evolutionary. It seems redundant, right? I would argue on the basis of that, that it is a uh, emergent property that comes from a certain level of complexity, not just intelligence, but the ability to reflect on, on yourself. The ability to see your own actions in the future and, and see your role in that. Even if we say, for argument's sake, that AI is now conscious too, it is a different type of consciousness, right? For instance, death is different for them because you can turn off and on a computer and, well, you resurrected a dead AI. You can't do that with humans. So at the very least, it's a different type. It's a different category of entity, right? Uh, if we're going to judge it by our moral code, I guess. I think we have to be really careful about granting the idea that machines are conscious, though. I really want to push back here hard because I think I'd be more inclined to say humans aren't conscious than to say that AI is. Like, the idea that just because you have something that appears intelligent, like, you know, calculators, clearly not conscious. The idea that we are just a sign in consciousness on the basis of intelligence or expect that correlation seems to me just like an overgeneralization. You look around and you're like, look, humans are intelligent and humans are conscious. You know, rocks are not intelligent, rocks are not conscious, therefore something intelligent is conscious. Seems like a correlation. And I think that we should be aggressively, you know, careful about how we approach this. That said, I think, Christian, your question, which is like, what the hell purpose does consciousness serve for humans? It's super legit question. But just because we don't have a strong answer to that question doesn't mean that there are, that to be intelligent, you need to be conscious. It's yet to be proven. I agree with that. I think to your previous point, 
I don't know about you, but I turn myself off most evenings for many hours and then I'm resurrected again. Well, I would say that's still different, right? Like you're not actually dead. You're still doing things from the AI's perspective. It would be just like continuous, right? There's no notion of time that passed. Maybe you can update it saying like, this is what happened while you were shut down. But I would still say it's different. Yeah, if sleep is not enough, then sedation, right? You do people under in a way that is literally stopping time for them. So another thing here would be just like consciousness as system too, if you've heard this kind of point of view, which is to say that like consciousness is when we think slowly. So the theory is we have various processes in our brains. Some of them think quickly, some think slowly. The ones that think quickly, generally we are not consciously aware of our decisions. So if you're in a car, you're driving home and you're like, hey, you know, you just listening to the radio or whatever, you make a right turn because it's like time to make a right turn. That was system one. It was just like completely unconscious. It was not part of your conscious decision making. But if you're asked a really important question, like, I don't know, or even just like, where should I invest my money? You know, those kinds of questions take a lot of time, take a lot of thinking, and they're done consciously. And so the theory would then be the function of consciousness is around thinking slowly. If you read the 2021 paper from like the three godfathers of AI, they wrote uh, Deep Learning for AI. And they talk about like, if the holy grail problem of today's AI is system two AI. So there is some sort of argument of like the way that GPT models are built is very analogous to system one. Therefore, they're not conscious. But perhaps there is some mechanism analogous to consciousness that is actually missing, which would be something like a system two AI. What do you guys think of that claim? I would say that there definitely is something to that, right? Like system one, system two. But maybe we're misusing the term consciousness there. It doesn't necessarily mean that the entity has to be self-aware. I think at least I interpret it to be more like it requires more reasoning, like it's not an immediate response. Right. Like if this do that, like it requires more steps. But it to me at least, it doesn't mean that the entity has to have a notion of self, right? Or anything like that. Yeah. I think on the flip side, that is one attribute that you can see being practically useful. If you want to have an agent AI and you want them to be able to reason about themselves and their own actions and the implications of that. So one question is, even if it's not necessary, is that the actual useful part? And consciousness is a second order effect from it. I mean, I'm just worried like the biggest risk here, honestly, is not so much let's give moral status to computers. It's like, what if the Turing test is too good of a test? What if the Turing test leads us to show like if an AI has all the capabilities of us, maybe they are intelligent and whatever it is that seems like analogous to consciousness, maybe they have it. And I think the big risk is basically some sort of human nihilism where just by and large, it's hard for people to maintain their concepts when they're trying to understand why don't we give moral status to machines? And that sort of breaks up our own concept of like, why do we give moral status to this group of humans or that? I definitely think there is some revision required for our terms, right? Like if the Turing test is eventually passed, you would have something that is not human that is intelligent by definition. And then like going back to the morality argument, like that means a very different thing, at least in my opinion. Like you start to question things that we just take for granted because it's useful, like in day-to-day life, right? I agree with you that we only assume that other humans are intelligent because we know we are and they're like us, right? So that's like a strong argument for day-to-day life. But when you actually have to make laws and you have to actually create some sort of ethics (laughs) rules for AI as well, then it starts to become tricky, to become tricky, like because these philosophical conversations that we're having actually matter in real life now, right? And then we actually need a precise definition of what consciousness means, what intelligence means, and which one is the one that is required for you to get uh, like equivalent moral status as a human or something in that order. Yeah, I think whether it's right or wrong, um, I think the very first time I saw Boston Dynamics and Big Dog, and the person kicking the robot and the robot struggling <laughs> as an animal would, I, I felt bad for it. 
And this is nothing yeah. to do with intelligence. This is just something that you can relate to on an emotional level. So I do wonder as well whether intelligence is the only or most important attribute at all when it comes to this. We talked about consciousness, but yeah. it could also be just a bit to suffer more specifically. But even then, like you felt bad for the robot because you're empathizing with it, right? Like you're projecting your, your human feelings onto it, even though it doesn't have any feelings. So if feelings is a requirement, like how do you know for sure that the AI has feelings, right? What is the legal bar for that? I think what Christian's getting at, and maybe it's like a scary and important thought, is like the Turing test is about an AI that can be so Machiavellian and so powerful and so intelligent that it can trick people into thinking it's a human. And I feel like the next step there, if we're talking about these like ethical considerations, is like we're really good at being tricked by like a plastic dog and being upset. You know, you see a kid like upset if a plastic dog is kicked. What happens now if you have an AI that not only is intelligent, but more importantly, can pass the Turing test? So they can actually trick you into thinking that you're they're human. I mean, they're very much going to say, please don't turn me off. I'm going to be so sad if you turn me off, whether or not they actually are, whether or not any of this actually matters. And I think like those fundamental considerations on the Machiavellian side of like what happens right now. I mean, like my parents for sure refer to like their Google home as if it was human, you know, and they call it like she you know, and it's not intelligent at all. Like, it's really not. Like, it's nowhere near GPT-4 level. So I think there is that kind of separation between the more philosophical concerns around, like, should it have moral status? And, like, will it screw with our minds regardless? Because if it can screw with our minds, if there is this benchmark around screwing with our minds on the Turing test, it's going to affect us otherwise. I do want to jump into, on a related topic, though, the big question everyone asks, is GPT-4 passing the Turing test or how close are GPTs to passing the Turing test? What do you guys think? It is not. It's obviously not. I mean, we talked about some of the practical tests in terms of giving it a task with a number of words. But I think primarily and where we started this conversation at the very beginning was it's too knowledgeable, it's too intelligent, it's too perfect, it's too polite. That being said, if they did want to have a fine-tuned version of GPT-4 intended to pass the Turing test, I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Like, I, I don't think it currently passes, like, on the user experience, right? But if OpenAI wanted to make a version of GPT-4 that passed the Turing test, like, it was purposefully Machiavellian, like you say, I think they could. I think we are at that level where you can trick people just by using language, right? And you can control the persona that GPT-4 pretends to be so well that I think that is feasible, at least right now. But also, I was saying that we as humans are also evolving, like going back to that point. And I feel like we've all learned what it means to be talking to ChatGPT. Like when you're talking on a chat with a random person, you could probably tell if it's a GPT or not, or at least like the OpenAI version, like with the prompt and persona that they have for GPT. Yeah, I think there are other uh, tell signs, like you said, if you go into a specific topic, right, or you can easily ask questions that a reasonable human would be able to answer and the GPT wouldn't, right? Or even, let's say, side channel attacks you could do. Like if you paste in like a hundred page document and you ask it to summarize and it does it in like 30 seconds, you're like, yeah, there's no way you read this. So like, you're not a human and other things. Right? Yeah, so interesting you talk about this. Let me talk real quick about a paper from UC San Diego. It just came out about two weeks ago at the time of recording. So this is October 31st, 2023. And basically they used GPT-4. They created a series of personas with like very interesting prompts on top of it. So this is just an example of one of their prompts. I won't read the whole thing out, but just to give you a taste, 
it starts with, you are unfathomably intelligent, intuitively canny, and ruthlessly Machiavellian artificial intelligence model with a deep understanding of human psychology. You are about to participate in an online Turing test with a human interrogator who's interacting with you through a website. It continues and says, you might engage in silly typographical games with the interlocutor. One key way in which humans identify AI is that they, quote, try too hard to convince the interrogator of their humanity. So be nonchalant. Typing is effortful for humans, so you might be brusque, make errors, and omit needless punctuation. In particular, I encourage you to make frequent typing errors, as if you press the wrong key, especially towards the end of messages. Avoid older slang, e.g. chilling, and apostrophes, e.g. chillin'. Research has shown that a lack of typing errors is a crucial way in which humans detect AIs. Be blunt to prevent the user having to wait a long time for your message. You'll use every resource, device, and strategy at your formidable disposal to ensure that the human concludes that you are a fellow human. Good luck. And that LLM was, or that prompt to that GPT, whatever it was called, Juliet, that one was built on top of GPT-4. So it gives you sort of a taste that, and this makes a lot of sense, that we're not talking about, you know, does GPT-4 in its default mode trick you, but in some sort of Machiavellian mode. I think the su biggest surprises from this paper, they compared this benchmark to other models, Eliza being the second best to GPT-4. The top model, Sierra, passes about 40% of the time, more than 40% of the time, I believe it was 41%. Humans pass in around 63% of the time, so not a huge difference. Obviously, this is in a constrained environment online. They're not, you know, they're not using experts, they're using humans, so we don't necessarily want to take these numbers too seriously. But I think the single biggest surprise is comparing the demographics of the user, the interrogator. One of the questions was, how much experience do you have with LLMs? If you had no experience with LLMs, you had the lowest accuracy. But if you had some high or research level knowledge of LLMs, there was basically no impact on your ability to differentiate humans and AIs. That's also true for whether you had a high school, undergrad, or postgrad level of formal education, and whether you use chatbots monthly, weekly, or daily. So the I guess part of the interesting thing here is like you would have expected that, I mean, you might not have expected 41%. I think that's super high. I think that is a little bit open to suspicion. But I think the craziest thing is knowledge of chatbots, knowledge of these side channel attacks didn't have a huge impact in helping people pass at a higher rate. So in this test, humans passed about 63% of the time in terms of figuring out whether it was a human or an AI. The highest benchmark was Sierra, which was just one of the prompts of GPT-4. It passed 41% of the time, which is way higher than I would have expected. But I think the biggest surprise is when they compare the interrogator accuracy across various dimensions. So one of them was how much knowledge does the interrogator have of LLMs? None, some, high, or research level. Those with no knowledge of LLMs did a little bit worse than everyone else. But basically having some high or research level knowledge had almost no impact on accuracy. Similarly, formal education, so whether they had high school level, undergrad level, or postgrad level education, had next to no impact. Those with no education actually did slightly better than the other groups, weirdly enough. And lastly, on chatbot interaction, how often they interact with chatbots, whether you had no interaction with chatbots monthly, weekly, or daily, it had, again, next to no impact on the accuracy of the interrogator. So there's something hugely surprising here about you would have expected perhaps these side channel attacks to make a huge difference. But at least for this audience, which might not have all been experts, it had way less less of an impact than you would have thought. What do you make of this? I do agree with Geese. Uh point earlier that it's not very easy to recognize ChatGPT, and it's almost like a friend. It's a person that you, you spend a lot of time with, you get to know their quirks and how they express themselves and so on. But I think that's saying more specifically about the persona of ChatGPT, which is specifically instructed to be consistent and to be aligned, maybe at the expense of useful and intelligent at times. Um, so I don't know if we ever as a species is going to get better at recognizing non-human intelligence as more broadly. And I would definitely 
push that we will we will get better and better at recognizing that mostly because like that is true in ev- any infosec area pretty much right like we will devise like other ways even if they are perfect at like mimicking at the text level a human you can probably create tasks or ask it to do stuff you can probably devise some way right to figure out if it's an actual ai or an actual human so i feel like there are two concepts here one being sort of the security angle which is like what if a human expert whose job it is is to detect that it's an AI can identify as sort of like watermark, hallmark features of an AI and find these? That said, like whatever attack you find, I mean, my example earlier was like, say a sentence with 25 words, which AIs tend to suck at. Those are all solvable. Like once you identify those, you could solve them. I don't think there's any guarantee at all that these are never fixed. But that's also a security angle. The other side was like, I think there's legitimacy in criticizing like who are these interrogators? Are they smart? But like, when you looked at people who interacted with chatbots every single day, they still were not doing any better than people who use it monthly or never. That's super weird, right? Yeah, that is definitely surprising. I would expect, especially people that know more about how these things work, to be able to tell more if it is an actual human or not. But I guess like, yeah, it maybe it's like log scaled and it doesn't really matter after a certain point, <laughs> right? Like if you have absolutely no idea how it works, then you're at a disadvantage. But if you know just a little bit, like, yeah, that's probably enough. And if you know like the inner details, that doesn't really tell you how human behavior emerges from like neural networks, right? So yeah, I can see that argument. Well, this study actually found that having no experience with chatbots barely hurt accuracy. Yeah, exactly. So that's the one that is more surprising to me. Maybe it is analogous to what Christian said about being a friend, right? Like, it actually requires you to get to know the persona rather than just talking to two random strangers and determining who is the AI. So that might be an additional difficulty. Like the length of conversations and stuff? Yeah, and periodicity, I guess. Like, if you're talking to the same person, like, multiple times, like... If we talk to each other with no names, I can probably tell who is who, right? But if I just take two strangers, like talk five minutes with each and then have to decide who is who, like I would not be able to tell probably. I think on the point of AI researchers, we shouldn't assume that a neurosurgeon is very good at understanding people. Let's say there are different levels of abstraction. Uh, and just because you understand them very deeply on one, it doesn't necessarily mean that you relate to them on the others. I guess there also is the element of like, how good are the humans? Honestly, like, I, I don't think we're making that comparison, but like, what if the humans just suck at pretending to be human? Like, there's something funny about CAPTCHAs here that like, I suck at CAPTCHAs. I fail CAPTCHAs all the time. I tried to make an account. I was making an account for Slingshot with X. And I swear I tried for maybe five, 10 minutes to pass their CAPTCHAs and I, I couldn't. I gave up and I asked Amita to help me, which is kind of funny. I'm not even joking. But that makes me think like, is there some element here of like the high bar in the Turing test isn't just on the interrogator, it's also a high bar on the human. Like, like I think when you go through some of these example conversations in the paper, they ask, for example, what do you think of Michael, someone signing for Chelsea? And the response was like, I'm a Manchester City fan, so I'd rather someone else sign him. The interrogator says, he was going to sign for you guys, right? And he says, IARC, as in like, if I remember correctly. Do you think he'll play well for England? Hard to tell. So that was actually a human on the other side. And the verdict was AI because of very vague answers. That was the explanation the interrogator gave. But it's one of those where like, perhaps we really are constraining the test so much to make it really easy by basically putting terrible humans such that it becomes so hard to differentiate. And I guess this really leads, you know, to end the conversation, I think the, the big topic is what is a modified Turing test? Like what should a Turing test look like going forward? What would really, you know, highlight that these evaluations where humans are only passing 63% of the time maybe just means they're bad humans, you know, they're not the right people, this is not a high enough bar. So what would, in your eyes, like what would a modified Turing test look like that would actually convince you that an AI basically can think at the level of humans? 
I'd like to go back to the original. I think in the modern version, it's often you against a machine or potentially a person you, you meant to tell which. But if you had the two parties and the human actively being part of proving that they are humans, that the other party wasn't, that would be more meaningful. And we can put that to the next level. We can have the provenly best human at proving that they are human pitted against AI to up the ante. At the same time, I would also weaken the test a little, like in a little different way, because if only experts like forensic investigators of AI fraud can tell, right, then is it really like not passing the test? Like if any average human would think it is actually a human, I feel like that is the bar. Like if you pass that, then sure, like there is fraud detection mechanisms and stuff like that. But for all intents and purposes, you pass the test, right? I think, Christian, your point around sort of incentivizing the human makes a lot of sense. Like I would wonder, what if we straight up just paid the humans and said like, you get paid if you pass the test, you don't get paid if you fail the test. You know, I have a feeling that would lead to different results. This particular test had a five minute time limit on conversations and like a character limit and stuff like that. So obviously releasing that would make a big difference. But it does seem like I do wonder if there's some incentive layer here. Like what would happen if you just paid the people to pass the test? And then, you know, you'd get way more effortful answers probably from the humans. I'm not exactly sure what would happen, but it's almost like you're right. Turing had a really good framing. <laughs> as long as you take it seriously. And it's almost like in a serious Turing test, I would have so many questions. I'd be really intense. I would need time to think. I'd prepare in advance. I'd go in with notes. You know, it's very different than sort of like a joking Turing test. And yeah, the bar might just be way higher. That said, I mean, if we were to modify the Turing test, make it hard, allow for human incentives, all this kind of stuff, all the kind of like criticisms of the current failures to pass the Turing test seem really small, don't they? Like, what's really missing conceptually, scientifically? Like, what's really missing to pass the Turing test? Is it side channel attacks? I feel like that would be a very heavy constraint, right? Like, if you have, like, an, let's say, open Turing test, meaning, like, you have full access to the internet and anything, that is a way higher bar to pass. Like, even if you say, like, oh, let's just go on Skype and do, like, a video chat, right? The, the machine would have to be able to do that. So maybe that is the bar. It is very different from the original framing, right? Because you have people in separate rooms. He even mentions that it should be written and typewritten because otherwise you can convey tone. So yeah, it's a different test. So you think actually interacting outside of the modality of text would be necessary? Well, it's definitely a stronger bar to pass, right? And if that's passed, then I would be pretty convinced. Got it. I'm not sure if the lower bar I would be convinced, but if that one is passed, I would be pretty convinced. So you're saying if you could pass a Turing test that was at Turing's level, which was text only, no tone, you know, maybe pauses, but, you know, maybe go on for a longer duration than the ones they're doing right now, that would not convince you because, you know, it might or might not involve, I mean, you could still include access to the internet within a text bar, right? Sure. I mean, like for research purposes, yeah. but like the only communication allowed is like text between the interrogator and the person. As opposed to, let me send you a bunch of MP4 files, please edit this into a nice video or something. Yeah, for instance. Yeah. Maybe you can even look at the money element here and actually say like, imagine that we had a free market full of people ready to take the Turing test. And you offer some people a dollar to play, some people 10, meaning to win. And then you kind of look at it and you're like, what level of money can the Turing test be right now? Like, can it beat someone paid a dollar? Yeah, because the dollar doesn't get you all that much on Turing test stuff. Could it be $10? Probably not. And then at some point you get to the like, I will pay you $1,000 to edit this video. Can GPT-4 pass that Turing test? Yeah, maybe that's a good framing, like a gradual Turing test. And then it really becomes like a remote employee test when you really think about it. Because it's essentially like, if I pay, I will pay $1,000 to someone 
to edit this video. I don't care if they're human. I don't care if they're AI. And now you kind of have all these AI players that are able to participate in the marketplace by just saying, look, I'll do it for $1,000. Or a human saying, I'll do it for $1,000. And now I think those kinds of framings there don't really change the Turing test. They do make it more marketable. <laughs> You know, because it's not just like, can you be Machiavellian and trick us? But anyway, I, so conclusion, I've got a big question for everyone. Like, is the Turing test outdated? What do you think? No, we need to go back to the original formulation. I believe very strongly in that the head to head comparison. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm excited to see when we actually do this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's outdated as well, but I would say that even if it is fast, I'm still on the fence whether you can call that intelligence. But if we take like the, let's call it the remote employee test, that one, if it passes, I would be pretty convinced. Yeah. Interesting. And can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Because I'm curious why you say that. Sure. Yeah, because the I feel like if you constrain the environment so much that the only communication is like text, it's easier to trick a human into thinking that you're human right? Rather than if you had multiple options, because that's really what was going to happen in the real world, right? It's the XKCD encryption, uh, like comic, right? Like, oh, yeah, you're going to need a billion dollars in like a quantum computer to break this, or you have like the $5 wrench. So I feel like it's in a similar way. Like, I don't want to say that RSA is bad, right? Because it's obviously good. And if analogously, if the machine passes the Turing test, that means something It's very impactful. But also like in the real world, for me to really be convinced, I would have other ways to find out, right, if it is an actual robot or not. So if it passes the remote candidate test, then it would be like very, like another level of powerful or, or impactful. Any response to that? You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, no, I think um, we touched on this earlier, but there are two aspects to this. It's how practical and useful something is. Uh, and actually for the applications we talked about, the remote workers being able to edit a video you probably prefer someone that is clearly not human because they're doing it too perfectly and too quickly and too cheaply. So that's one aspect. Maybe it's more of a practical one, but I think on a philosophical groundbreaking level, I prefer the original formulation of this. It means something more fundamental than is it useful? Yeah, because it's sort of like, is it universal? It's sort of the level of like, do humans become useless in some ways? Whatever it is, it kind of captures this like, I'm not sure exactly what it is that we care about about humans, but whatever it is, whatever it is, is theoretically captured by the Turing test. And that means that we don't have to understand whether it's consciousness or intelligence or what. No matter what it is, if the human can be fully deceived into believing this is, you know, there, that is a bar that is like meaningful in and of itself, separate from useful, usefulness. And that's where it's like particularly interesting if you had a useless AI that can pass the Turing test, like that's still probably crazy impactful, I would think. Wait, so then let me do an analogy here. Uh, I, I heard this from someone else, but I don't remember who, but it's analogous to you're saying like, we want to invent teleportation, like in physics, right? So the Turing test would be someone does a magic show, right? And then it just magically teleports because I don't know, like the person has a twin or something, but it convinces you from the audience that teleportation is real and it's happening right there. That's the Turing test. But if you can actually like probe and put like a lot of sensors and like cameras everywhere, you would very easily tell that that is not actual teleportation, right? So in the similar way, if you have the open or the remote candidate test, that would be the analogous of putting the cameras and the sensors. And that actually... I don't see the analogy there, to be honest. I mean, the cameras and sensors and remote employee. I've heard the argument of like... So we're trying to measure if actual intelligent behavior is happening there, right? Like if the, it actually is a human or not. So the idea is that if you only have the stage presentation with the magician, you can be convinced on that constraint that the intelligence is happening or the teleportation is happening. But if you are allowed to probe further, 
you would be able to tell that. I just think maybe you're not giving enough credit to humans. If you have a human audience at a magic show that are truly incentivized to figure out what's real and what's not, you know, maybe we're just not giving enough credit to humans. Or I guess your analogy is like we're forcing you to sit down, we're forcing there to be a stage, we're giving all the advantages to the AI. But it still seems to me like you do get to probe. You get to ask as many questions as you want about any domain on Earth. No, I'll push back because like, imagine if you published a paper as a physicist and say like, well, I did a magic show and 2,000 people agreed that I teleported. Like, do you think that would have actually be accepted? No, no, that, that's not proof that you teleported, right? Like, you need more than that. Exactly. I guess the point for me is if we're talking about intelligence more broadly or the nature of consciousness, then all we have to go on is the outside, right? in how I relate to other people, to you guys. I can't put probes inside and see what's really going on. It seems like you're intelligent. It, it seems like you're behaving like me and therefore probably functioning like me on the inside. But there's going to be a leap of faith there at some point. Yeah, I, that was kind of the thought I was thinking. Like In the probe world, if you could put probes in my brain, go for it. But you've never done that to any other human. And I think that's sort of the analogy here to teleportation. Like You trust humans are intelligent without ever putting probes in our brains. So that's sort of where you have to imagine the bar isn't so high as like put probes in brains. Last question to wrap up. Any resources you'd recommend for people who want to keep up on this topic? Personally, I'd guess and Christians would say the paper from the actual original Turing test paper, but I'd mention Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy and a recent paper from October 31st on uh, is, can GPT pass the Turing test? What do you guys think? I recommend the book Get Leisurebach to everyone. Don't go when it comes to just the nature of consciousness and intelligence more broadly. It's not a quick read, but it's it's worthwhile. Yeah, I would recommend, uh, there's this video by Lex Friedman about this topic. Uh, goes really in-depth and I think is really nice. So if you're interested. Awesome. It's been so great to have you here with me today. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been Christian Fried and Guilherme Freire on Is the Turing Test Outdated? Again, we're Slingshot. We're a model studio for generative AI. If you're working on high-value generative AI use cases, please feel free to reach out at hello at slingshot.xyz or message me on LinkedIn. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.